Praise the Lord. Hey, uh, how about that worship this morning? Wasn't that good? God is good. Uh, I know I was really ministered to, and I pray that you all were as well. Um, I tell you what, our worship team, they are a real blessing to this church family. Praise the Lord. Uh, I'm going to ask you all to start, turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to get into the word of God after a brief word of prayer. I'm going to talk today on the devil's schemes against us. Don't worry, it's not going to be boring. The devil's schemes against us. Join me in a brief word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, I humble myself before you, Lord, and uh, to teach your word. And Lord, I, uh, I believe this word is inspired by you, a Holy Spirit inspired, Lord, and that this is for the body. And and I pray, Father God, that it will be to the edification of the body, Lord, and uh, as it strengthens them and encourages them in their walk with you, Lord. Uh, they already have the victory in Jesus Christ. They've overcome the world by faith in Christ Jesus, and they shall, uh, they shall indeed get from you a well done, thy good and faithful servant, at the end of their days. I pray that the race that's marked out for each of us is completed, Father God, to the glory of God and to the pleasure of God, our, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sorry. <clears throat> the voice isn't as strong and robust as it normally is. Uh, me and some of the guys were out there uh, spreading out the sand, those mountains of sand that were out there in the new volleyball court. And uh, we had uh, some gentlemen who signed up and came out and worked our butts off. And I think it was a little bit more than we bargained for. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if Johnny actually thought it would only take an hour, but the invite was for an hour. Uh, the work was three hours. Uh, and I think it took three hours and every ounce of, uh, Everything else, the energy and effort and, 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 and spunk that we had. And, uh, and praise God, we got it done. And so, uh, Marty's gonna get it across the finish line for us. And I tell you what, I don't know where Marty is right now, but having a team of about seven guys out there doing what he has been working his butt off doing solo, he took a couple of those mountains of, uh, of sand out by himself. Uh, and, uh, as hard as it was to do as a team, I have a, as much as I've already respected him, I have a newfound, greater respect for that man. And I, Marty, it, it, I, thank you. You're not in here right now. Watch it on Facebook Live. And you'll hear it, brother. We thank you for everything you do. Everything that's on these church grounds, um, every beautification that's out there, it is due to him. And the uh, way God has gifted him and his diligence, it's a truly a, 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 serve, a servant heart that he applies to his work. Praise the Lord. Um, devil schemes. You may, you may think it a little bit weird that I'm starting where I'm starting in light of that, but I hope to make that clear by the end of the message. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 say this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Y'all, we are on a journey for us that is marked out by God. The one thing that connects our generation with past generations of believers and future generations of Jesus is, is God's desire for us to be reconciled with him. And the and the heroes in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, they did their part 
for the grand master plan of God. He already knew that we couldn't save ourselves. He already knew that we were lost in sin. He already knew that there was nothing we could do about it, but he always had a plan for the salvation of man because it was always his intent to be reconciled with us again. And every generation has a part to play in the fulfillment of God's master plan to be reconciled with those whom he created, those whom he loves. Satan's primary objective is to prevent man from glorifying God in spirit and in truth. I'm going to say that again. Satan's primary plan is to prevent man from glorifying God in spirit and in truth. He first wants to keep us ignorant of our need to be reconciled with God. You can't glorify God if you're ignorant of your need to be reconciled with him. If you're ignorant of the fact that you're lost in your sins and subject to eternal damnation. Right? You can't glorify God if you don't know him. He does not want us to know God. He doesn't want us to trust God or have a relationship with God. Satan hated it when you were reconciled with God through faith in Christ Jesus. He hated it. That was a major loss for him because he lost the battle for your soul. But even though he lost the battle for your soul, you need to know that Satan has not quit his mission to prevent you from glorifying God. Right? Plan A, prevent them from ever knowing God or prevent them from ever knowing that they need God. They can't glorify him if they don't know him. But failing that, plan B is, okay, now that they've come, their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but that don't mean they have to glorify him. The mission is still not, this mission is still not over. He is diligent when it comes to that. He has not quit his mission. It may look a little bit different, but the same mission that he had against us when we were non-believers, that mission is still in effect now that we are believers. Next week, we're going to talk about the, the, the tools in our tool, tool chest, the armor that we have, the, the, what, the truth that we should be armed with that makes us able to stand against and be victorious against the schemes of the devil. But this day, we're just going to expose him and his schemes. So he lost the battle for your soul, but you need to know that Satan has not quit his mission to prevent you from glorifying God. And he has schemes that he employs in an effort to achieve his mission objective. And going back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, let me first give you the general big picture. Then we'll take a look at specific tactics that Satan uses. Going back up here, there's two things that I want to draw your attention to in these two verses. It says we're, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, those that are in the hall of faith. We are to lay aside every weight and the sin which cleans closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run with perseverance. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. The race that is set before you has been set before you by God. Satan's mission in general, the big picture mission, he wants to distract you from the race that God has set before you. He don't mind you running the race. He just doesn't want you to run the race God set before you. He wants to distract you from that. Secondly, they set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he wants to distract you from the race set before us, and he wants to distract us from looking to Jesus. That's, in a nutshell, the general macro view of Satan's schemes. And we have to be on guard. We have to be diligent 
to focus on the race that has been marked out before us and make sure we're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Are you hearing me? All right, make sure we're awake. Wake, oh sleepers. Now, in order to take a more specific look at some of his tactics, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll look at the first seven verses. And there is a whole lot there. Before before you start groaning, I've read Genesis a million times. I know everything there is to know about Genesis chapter 3. I I, I, I would ask for you to, to hold off on that. And even if you do, you know, refreshers are not a bad thing. Being challenged afresh in the things that we know uh, is important for our continued growth. We need to be challenged to uh, afresh, to be diligent in the things of God. Now, I'm going to read the first seven verses and then we'll look at them a little bit more specifically. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, I'm going to stop there. We're not, I can't even read all seven verses right now. I want to deal with what we just read. The first thing I want you to know about Satan is Satan is no dummy. He's no dummy. Not only that, he's incredibly brilliant. Everything he does is strategic. Everything he does has a specific master plan in mind. Nothing is done half-heartedly. Nothing is done without great purpose and intent. He will use the best available resource to initiate his scheme against you. Notice, Satan didn't choose a lamb or a lion. Out of all the creatures that were created, he didn't choose a dove. He didn't choose a lamb. Creatures in which there is no guile. They don't symbolize or or represent anything. He chose the craftiest creature amongst God's creatures. Why would he do that? Well, that character trait was important because what his plan against Eve in that moment was to deceive, was to beguile. And so he's not going to choose something that doesn't have the necessary skills required in order to do the job. He chose a creature that was perfectly suited to, do, to, to pull off his scheme. It's not just words there. There's stuff that pops out at us that we need to realize that that's what he's going to do. Whatever it is that, that gets you to let your guard down. Whatever it is that might tempt you to lower your standard. Whatever it is that might best be able to accomplish you uh, compromising or, or, or justifying or, you know, giving in and just crossing the line a little bit. He'll do whatever it takes. Something that you love, some, someone that you respect, right? Something that you really pine for. Something that you might be willing to compromise your standards or, or, or the truth that you know in God in order to obtain. You know, we understand that in war, right? Whatever the weakness of the enemy is, we're going to develop a strategy designed to take advantage of it. 
We understand it in sports. We understand it in business. We better understand it spiritually. And it's why we need to own our weaknesses. We need to own them, not justify them, explain them away, not, you know, not accept them, not have an attitude of, well, this is who I am, so if you love me, you're going to accept me. No, this is, this is where I am, but this is not where God called me to be. And while I shouldn't be wallowing in self-condemnation, I also got to realize I need to grow in Christ-likeness. I need the character of Christ developed in me, so I'm going to have to be willing to let this go. Instead of embracing this as my identity, this is a part of those weights and sins that I need to let go if I'm going to run with perseverance the race that is marked out for me. You know, it's a, the Satan wants you to keep those weights, but you need to let them go, right? Because he will use those weights to hinder you and distract you from your race. But he's no dummy, right? Satan used that serpent because the serpent was crafty. It had a character trait that was necessary for the mission of deceiving Eve. And we need to be on guard that that's how he operates. He'll use your, he'll use your spouse. He'll use your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Ladies, if he loves you, don't, don't you believe the lie that, that in order to keep him, you're going to have to compromise your virtue. If he loves you, right, he ain't going nowhere. If he loves you and if he loves God, he's going to do it in a way that honors God. Right? If he's demanding a compromise from you, then that's not love. That's not godliness. And as much as it might hurt, and as much as Satan may tempt you by saying, hey, he, he's the first one that's come along in years. Who knows when the next one will come along? Who knows if another one will come along? Those are fears that we can't give into. Doesn't matter if another one never comes along. God's truth is God's truth. And you're going to stand in the truth of God and trust him. And stay in a constant attitude of yes, Lord. Don't let Satan compromise you because he'll come in ways that hit deep. He'll come at you in waves that strike at the root, at the depth of your fears. Because that's an effective way to get you to say, oh, well, I know what the word of God says, but. You understand that? And let's continue on with what he said. And he says, that's the first thing I want you to know about Satan. Let's continue looking at his conversation with Eve. He said to the woman. The serpent being used by Satan. He says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said, we may eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree in the, in the, uh, in the garden, trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there's two things I want to point out here. Satan wants you to think that God is withholding something good from you. God just knows. Here's the thing about God you don't know. Here's the real reason he doesn't want you to eat that. He don't want you to be like him. There is some knowledge that is available to you that he doesn't want you to have. He's withholding something. for. There is abundant life out there to be had on the other side of God's command, and he's withholding it from you. He's planting seeds. He also wants you to think that God's word is not infallible truth. What does he say there? 
He said, oh, you should not surely die. Well, God said you would. Let God be true and everyone else a liar. But there is a tactic there. I probably should have led with this, but a third, <laughs> but a third tactic is to take God, the command of God, and turn it into a question that's subject to debate. To turn it into a topic of discussion. I don't know about you, but I've, I've had those moments in my life where I'm, I'm, I'm rationalizing, I'm debating, as if God's word doesn't say what it says. Yeah, God's word says that, but did it apply to my situation? Did he have this in mind when he said that? I'm not sure that that applies here. And we'll look for other scriptures. Out of context. That will help us stay where we want to stay rather than yield to what the truth of God's word is. So, so he turns the command of God into a question. Did God say? God's withholding something from you. God's word is not infallible truth. Because I'm telling you right now, you won't die. That's not his real reason for telling you not to eat that fruit. The real reason for telling you not to eat that fruit is that he's holding out on you. He's withholding something good from you. And, and here's a real one. And we're suffering in our society big time for this one. What does he tell her here? He said, you will not surely die. Okay. What is he saying there? He wants you to believe that there will be no consequences for disregarding God's word. We cast off restraint when we lose fear of consequence. There's a reason why parents know it's necessary that we discipline our kids. We have to give them a cost for sin, a cost for bad behavior. There has to be, that they have to know there's a price to be paid for dishonoring or disobeying or just doing any foolishness out there that is to be done. Because when you get out into the real world, you know, as parents, we're not doing them any favors when we spare them consequences. Because the world doesn't love them like we do, and we better prepare them that, hey, you better count the cost. Because if you go out there and you break the law, if you go out there and you do wrong, you're going to pay a price for that. And I love you too much not to make that crystal clear to you while you're under my roof, while you're under my care. I cannot allow you to believe the foolish notion that you can get away with stuff without consequence. But that's the tactic of Satan. It's all about what you want. It's all about how you want to feel. It's all about doing whatever it is that's on your heart. Forget the consequences. Forget who it hurts. Forget who is affected by it. Just do you. I once embraced that nonsense and God delivered me from it. Praise God. Another one Another tactic here, he wants to make you believe that you can be your own God. Or like God, the same sin that he had. What does he say here? You should not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like him. You will be able to see him eye to eye. You'll be on his level. And God doesn't want you on his level. A total fraudulent lie. We can't ever be on his level. He's God. We're not. Right? Now, we, we want to be like him character-wise. But we can never be like him as peers. We, we, we can't pull him down like that. He is to be exalted and to remain exalted above all. Right? And yet, he wants us to think that we can control things and really be, he, does, we, we, he doesn't always put it that way, but we can be like God in our own lives and in, in, in our own situations. We make the calls. My will be done on earth as his will is done in heaven. I don't need to, I don't even need to pray about this. I don't need to seek God about it. It's obvious to me what the right, what the right thing to do is. I want to do what I'm going to do no matter what. That's the tactic of the enemy. He wants you to think God is withholding good from you. He'll do that by taking God's word and he'll take God's word and turn it into a question or a topic of debate. He wants you to think God's word is not infallible. He wants you to believe there won't be consequences for disregarding or disobeying his word. He wants you to think that and believe that you can be is you can play the role of God in your own life. I'll put it, I'll word it that way. And, 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 and on so many occasions, when we need to be like David at Ziklag, I talked, to, I preached on that last week, when he was in the worst case scenario, his worst fear came to fruition. The wives and children of him and his men were taken by the enemy. And what did he do in that moment of desperate need? It says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And then he inquired of God. And I told y'all last week, there was so much more in that story. If you read the previous three chapters that lead up to it, David was not operating in the will of God for a year and four months thereabouts. After the eighth attempt on his life by Saul, he decided, I got to get out of here. Who knows? The next one might be successful. God didn't tell him to do it. He just had enough, and he left. And at that point, he was, he was scheming. He was controlling his own life. He was playing both sides, making the Philistines think he was, he was loyal to them and that he had forsaken the people of God when he was working with a master plan designed to deceive the Philistines until his master plan came to fruition when he would take them out and reclaim the glory that he felt that should be his among the people of God. But that got interrupted when the generals would not fight with him. Earlier, David had asked for a spot for him, a, a designated area for him and his men and their families, and Achish gave him Ziklag. And so the men said, we don't, the general said, we don't want him anywhere near the battle. Send him to Ziklag. And he went to Ziklag. His men and him wanted to finish the master plan. If they had their way, they would have been fighting with the Philistines until the perfect time to stab them in the back. Disappointed, they had to go back to Achish. What they didn't know, and this was the providence of God, was that their wives and children had been taken. And if they had had their way, they would have been still battling while their wives and children were, were taken, and they might not have never seen them again. 
So it was the providence of God that they had to go back disappointed. And then in the middle of all that, when David encouraged himself in the Lord, he wasn't just doing it because he'd been this godly paragon of virtue and that that's what he had been doing the whole time. No, he realized that he had just spent a year and four months doing his own thing and only his own thing. And he repented of that in that moment and decided, I've done everything that I can do. I've done everything I wanted to do. Look at what it's got me. My life was much better when I was letting God call the shots. My best efforts will get me nowhere. My my best efforts will bring death and destruction. My best efforts do not accomplish the will of God. I need to surrender to God and let God call the shots in my life. And he did that, and he said, God, now this is his wife and children, should I pursue after these Amalekites or should I not? He left it up to God for the first time in that previous year and four months. That's the, that's the danger of thinking that we're smart enough and we're wise enough, right, to make the plan of God come to pass when we are making decisions that aren't ours to make, when we are looking at society and we think we're playing chess and making it seem like we can figure things out and make things happen for God instead of inquiring of him and letting God call the shots. When he surrendered and encouraged himself in the Lord, he was realigning himself to being under God's authority and letting God be the one to tell him when to go, when not to go, what to do, what not to do, what to say, what not to say. And he ended up getting all their wives and children back. Everything they lost, they got back. Amen? So there is redemption if we're there, Satan may have you there where you have been controlling your own life or you've been making the calls and you're frustrated because you're wondering why there isn't more favor where you would expect there to be. There isn't victory, the kind of victory you expected, right? And, and, and you're confused and you're wondering what's going on. It could be because, not th- because the one who should be calling the shots ain't calling the shots. And maybe you need to encourage yourself in the Lord, which means repent. Say, you know what? Satan duped me. The no good scoundrel tricked me. He very slickly tempted me to get in the throne of my, get in the throne that God should be occupying in my life. And now I got to get off, dust it off, shine it, and, 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 and please invite God back on that throne. So David faced the consequences of making his own decisions. But God redeemed him out of that once he came to himself and repented and let God back on the throne in his life. So those are six things. And, and, and the culmination of those tactics or those strategies of the devil is tainted or broken perspective. Because evil has been effectively removed from the equation. It's been removed from consideration. Let's, let's read on here in Genesis 1. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, She took off his fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Notice, this is how slick he is. He comes at you with whatever available resource will make him most effective in his scheme against you. He flips God's command into a question to kind of show some seeds of doubt in your mind. 
Make you think God's withholding something good from you. Convinces you that there won't be consequences. Tempts you to be, to put yourself on the throne that God should occupy in your life. And having done that, this fruit, this tree with the fruit on it that had been in that garden ever since Adam and Eve was created. All of a sudden, after this conversation with this crafty serpent, all of a sudden, ooh, that fruit sure looks good on that tree. Up until that point, there was no temptation. There was, you know, there was no walking by the tree. Mm, sure wish I could eat the fruit on that tree. There was none of that. But perspective gets tainted when we allow ourselves to be infected or subject to the scheme of the devil. If he has his way, what happened to poor Eve and uh, Adam here will happen in our lives. You know, Adam and Eve weren't non-believers. They walked with God in the garden every day. They knew God. They knew him personally. He spoke with them all the time. It, this was not people who were ignorant of what it was to walk with God, and yet they were subject to the scheme of the devil. And we need to know those schemes are still at work today. Uh, but we don't need to fear them. We're going to talk next week about what we have at our disposal and how we can be victorious. And we ought to be victorious because we've already been made victorious because he is under our feet in Christ Jesus. Now, we need to not allow him to play with our minds to make us think that we're something different than what God made us to be. All right? That's his objective. He wants to distract you from the race that's set before you, and he wants to distract you from looking to Jesus. He wants to distract you from who you are, recognizing and understanding who you are in the Lord, and wants you to make you think you're something less than what God created you to be. He attacks us in so many ways, and in, in, in one of the most vicious ways he attacks us, he attacks us in our identity. But he had one conversation with her, this crafty serpent used by Satan, and it changed her entire perspective. All of a sudden, this wasn't the tree, just the tree that God commanded you don't eat off of. All of a sudden, it's a tree with some really tasty looking fruit on it. So now I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it in light of how satisfying, how fulfilling it can be. I'm considering, he turned the command to a question. So now, there, there, there are so many things to consider now. Right? The issue is not so black and white. It's confused now. God said this, but boy, it sure looks good. And you mean, if I eat it, I could be like God. Oh my gosh. Who doesn't want to be like God? Right? Wouldn't the end justify the means there? Again, God said, see, that should have been end of story. It should have been a period, exclamation mark at the end of that. But all of a sudden, we got a comma or a semicolon. And we're adding layers that shouldn't be added. But that sure would taste good. Oh, but it would make me like God. Yeah, but that God said don't. But it would make me like him. Not only did it say that the tree was good for food, but that it was a delight to the eyes. You know, now that I look at it, now that I look at it a different way, that fruit looks amazing. Oh, and man, and the tree can make you wise. 
Mm. I read Proverbs all the time. Wisdom, we should be pursuing after wisdom. So if I can get wisdom by eating this fruit, man, shouldn't I, why shouldn't I do it? Because God said don't. Right? And, and that's how he operates. He gets us off of the black and white. This is what God said. And we end up making excuses and justifying stuff that is not godly. Well, God will be okay, you know, because those people are the enemy. And it doesn't matter how we treat those people because they're the agents of evil. Yeah, but what did God command you to do? What did God command you? How did he command you to behave? How did he command you to treat those who don't know him? See, see, only when you change the doggone lens through which you're looking at, do you, can you then say what is unacceptable before God becomes acceptable. It's the same tactic. New generation, same devil. Right? New issues, same scheme. And if we're going to be the light in this dark generation, in this generation of darkness, we're going to have to recognize the devil's schemes and how he can neutralize our impact in this world. Right? He can't do it by himself. He has, to, he, he has to woo us into cooperating with his scheme. And we're putting bushels over our lights and don't even know it. Because we're looking at these issues from the perspective that the enemy wants us looking at them rather than just looking at them in the pure light of God's word. Tainted perspective. When we embrace that stuff, we end up in a situation where we try to, we have to try and put fig leaves where the glory of God used to cover. <laughs> We've got to try and scramble around and get some fig leaves to cover the uncomely parts. Jesus was speaking of this in John 8, verse 44. Jesus is talking to the religious order who he was at odds with. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Now, it's interesting that they would call, he would call the devil their father. Right? Uh, basically, he called the devil the father of lies, right? The devil is the originator of lying. And there can be many like them. They're walking in the deception of the, uh, in, in the deception that uh, Satan has them under. And they become agents of Satan. They're spreading the lies that, that originated with him. So he says, you're of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth. Those words that get planted in your ear, if they are not the truth of God's word, then they're lies. The father of lies is whispering in your ear. Remember, he doesn't want you to run the race marked out for you. He doesn't want you looking to Jesus. He wants you looking at your faults. He wants you looking at your failures. He wants you looking at your fears. He wants you to consider compromise and all those other things. You, he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. That's all the devil can do. Everything he ever says to you is a lie. He can make it sometimes sound so close to the truth, you swear it's the truth, but we got to be able to discern the truth of God's word. We got to be able to uh, discern the devil's schemes, and we're capable of doing it. 
we are. I don't care if you're the newest babe in Christ or if you've been a Christian for 80 years. God's word of truth is the sword of the spirit. And the lies of the devil will get exposed and destroyed in light of the truth. We don't have to do anything extra. We don't have to connive. We don't have to deceive. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't have to be extra. We just got to know the truth. We got to tell the pure truth and we got to walk in the truth. And trust God as we do. The more we walk in the truth, the more we'll be able to discern the lies that are not in accordance with God's truth. All right. Um, going to move forward here. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Here's where I want us to pay attention. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't be deceived. You know, he didn't mention... uh, the conversation between the serpent and Eve in, in, in Genesis, but, you know, she, she would have been benefited greatly if James, if the book of James existed back then. She would have known better. Oh, whoa, whoa, no consequence. Wait a minute. You can't disobey God without consequence. But he says, and we, and we have to know this, y'all, We do everything that we can to try and block temptation or try to, you know, warn against the temptations and everything that are out there. You can identify every temptation that is out there, right? But if you don't have yourself under control, if you've not brought yourself under subjection to God where you're disciplined, you are going to be subject to the temptation no matter how no matter how aware you are of it, right? So we're going to have to have victory within us, in our own hearts, so we're not slaves to our desires. Because if we're slaves to our desires, then we are easy prey for Satan. He can't make you do anything. That's such a lie. The devil made me do it. Stop it. He can't make you do it, but he is going to be on his job when he recognizes an area that where you're justifying, where you haven't owned the fact that this is not godly behavior and that you're doing everything you can to diligently repent of that, then that's a weakness that he can exploit. And he's going to come at you with whatever the most effective available resource is in order to worm his way into that area of your life and begin that process of tempting that will give birth to sin and then bring forth death. But we focus on trying to stop everything out there when the real focus should be on gaining victory in here. The Lord really impressed that upon me when when he was doing the the, uh, sanctifying work in me. He was like the uh, I was so devil oriented in everything that that confronted me. Oh, I was I was taking authority. I, I could I learned about that. I was taking authority, boy. In the name of Jesus, I was taking authority. And yet the Lord just lovingly and sternly dealt with me and said, Okay, hey, you what what is the word say? You already have victory over him. Yes, you have authority over him. What you don't have is discipline. Right? He said, believe it or not, Satan is not your biggest battle that you have to war in your life. The biggest one is you. Your mind has to be renewed. Your heart, right, has to be yielded to God. You you know, your soul, there is a work 
of salvation, a work of reconciliation, a work of renewal that has to be done. That is the most difficult battle that we have in this life is the battle within. And he told me the devil, he basically used the term uh, like a carrot. The devil can dangle the carrot out there, but it's only effective if you have an insatiable desire for the carrot. If you control, if you bring bring yourself under subjection to God and and you have control over your appetites instead of letting your appetites control you, then you'll be able to walk by that carrot that's dangling and you won't be ensnared. That's why the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Right? Because who he may devour are the ones who are out of control. They go after whatever they want. Okay, well, I'll just dangle what they want. And they will ensnare themselves. I want to feel happy. I want to feel this. I want to experience that. And if that matters most to you, then you're setting a trap for yourself. So we need to know that about ourselves to know that devil, the devil's scheme is uniquely and, and, and specifically crafted for each and every one of us. Maybe where you're at is different than where I'm at. Maybe your weakness is different than mine. But whichever our weaknesses are, if we just, if we don't do business with God and make it a, and make it a point, of intentionally surrendering ourselves to God in that area to where we are not slaves to our members, to our bodily members. We're not a slave to our desires. We're not a slave to what we want and so forth and so on. If we don't do that, then we're going to always struggle with temptation. And the enemy is going to always have some effect in our lives. And we can bind and we can take authority and we can do all that declaring that we want to do and it'll go nowhere because you're going to have, because of the stuff that you haven't done that you're going to have to start doing. I can go to class, math class, whatever it is, but if I don't do any work, I can pray for a passing grade. It ain't coming. Right? Right? And so we're going to have to be diligent about being a disciple. Uh, Not just believers, not just professors, but disciples of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to have to deal with the thing. uh, um, We're going to have to deal with our own desires, our own lusts, our own vices. We're going to have to let God deal with us in those areas, see the importance of it, and be diligent in availing ourselves to him so that we are not subject to the temptations that can destroy our lives. And we see what happened with Eve, uh, with the crafty serpent. He produced a desire in her that wasn't there before, changed her perspective, made her made God's word not black and white, made it a topic of debate, made it a topic of consideration, discussion, made her question her ability to, made her question the infallibility of the word of God. This is what he said, but here's what he didn't say. (laughs) Made her think he's withholding something good from her. All that stuff worked to change her perspective. And it still works today to change our perspective. Don't let the enemy change your perspective. Um, Let's recognize him for who he is. Let's recognize his tactics. And where, where it concerns the word of God, where it concerns the command of God, let's not allow ourselves to be duped into turning his command to a question. Let's not let his command be reduced to a topic of debate. God's word is God's word. 
and that's where we'll stand, either to our benefit or seemingly to our detriment. We're going to be like the, again, I say all the time, the Hebrew boys, uh, 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 Rakshak and Benny, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and, Be- and Abednego, right? We believe our God can deliver us from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow the knee, right? Even if there's consequences, even if I end up paying the ultimate price, even if there are certain challenges and struggles along the way, I'm going to choose the truth of God's word. I'm going to stand. I'm not going to compromise. And I'm not going to let myself being in conflict with someone else cause me to compromise the way I should be standing in God's truth and in the integrity of his character. Amen? And so, do not be deceived, he says, when, when you do that. doesn't matter how... I don't know, uh, it's amazing how we can justify even wrong uh, in a certain case, but it doesn't matter um, how justifiable the unchristlike actions are. If they're unchristlike, they're unchristlike, and and it's disobedience. To to, uh, know to do right and not to do it is sin. So whatever isn't specifically covered in the Bible as sin, right? Right? It may not say, well, doing that is sin. Well, to know to do right, if you're not walking in the way God called you to walk that reflects him well, and you know you ought to be doing that, then the fact that you're not doing it is sin. And when sin enters in, when it's fully grown, it never fails. It brings forth death. And on that point, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not be deceived in thinking that there won't be consequences, that there won't be death of something. It may not be a physical death of someone's life, but it could be death of a relationship. It could be death of opportunities, right? It, it, it could be death of, uh, of whatever is impacted by the action or inaction at that time. And finally... I want to finish up in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll start in verse 1. And Paul says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband, that one husband being Christ Jesus. Right? These are the people he shared the gospel with, people who came to the Lord through his ministry. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid. Everybody say, I'm afraid. afraid. And we'll see what he's afraid of. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts would be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's talking to believers. I am concerned here. You are receiving some teachings. You are receiving some doctrines. You are receiving some, some, some beliefs that he's wormed his way into your life. And all of a sudden, the pure gospel is not so pure in your minds and hearts anymore. I'm afraid. That as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts would be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received from our, through our ministry, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. I mean... The, I'm not even going to finish the last of it, but that was his concern. He's like, wait a minute. I know the Christ that I have preached to you. I know the gospel that I have shared with you. And yet, you got other people that have come and began to share stuff that ain't consistent with what we've shared with you. And yet, you accept it readily enough. This is not the, this is not the Christ, the husband I betrothed you to. We've been betrothed to one Lord. We've got one husband, that's Jesus Christ, right? He presented himself 
in spirit and in truth. He presented to him, he presented to us, and we can read it in the gospels. He presented to us everything that he represents. He spoke to us everything that he wanted us to take to heart and walk in. And sometimes we get so frustrated like David did when he finally just left the people of God and went to the Philistines because he he didn't want to give Paul, I mean uh, Saul a an, an opportunity to make a ninth attempt on his life. Sometimes we just get fed up. We get frustrated. We get mad. And in the frustration and anger, we justify actions and attitudes that, sh- that do not deserve to be justified. And if we take a good, hard, long look at those actions and, and, and we put them up against the mirror of who Christ is and what he represents and, 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 and how we're supposed to be representing him in the world, the, the, the image in the mirror doesn't match. It's time to take certain attitudes, to take certain behaviors, to take certain actions and, and put them up against the, the, that, that mirror of Christ. And take a hard look at ourselves to determine or answer the question, am I really representing him in the earth? Or have what I've begun to represent begin to be something different than him? Am Am I displaying a different gospel than the one shared by Paul and the other apostles? Am I offering a different husband for people to be betrothed to than Christ, than the Christ of the Bible? Am I allowing Satan to use me to to, to stoke the angers and frustrations of people to motivate them a certain way rather than walking with God and trusting him and letting him lead? Am I being, am I letting myself, am I letting get done to me what happened to Eve in the garden? Has the command of God turned into a question? Have I Am I acting as though God's word is an infallible truth? Am I on the throne in my life? Have I been duped or tricked into getting on the throne in my life and making decisions in his name that aren't his decisions, they're mine? If so, it's time to get off of that of that train of deception. Get off at the most immediate stop and look for that train or the truth train. Repent immediately. Say, oh God. The devil schemes and I will Read them. The devil schemes. He's used certain resources to initiate his scheme in my life. I've made undealt with sin, desires, attitudes, behaviors, undealt with, unconfessed, unrepented of attitudes, thoughts, and behaviors have left me vulnerable to the scheme of the devil. And he's taking advantage of it. Time to repent. Lord, I believe the lie that you're withholding something good. Maybe I believe, maybe I've allowed myself to embrace the lie that the worsening conditions of society, right, 
means something different than what it actually means. Maybe I've decided I need to do something extra in defense of my God. If that's us, Father God, I just pray that you would convict us to do as David did and inquire of you. If we're going to do what we claim to be doing in your name, it sure as heck ought to be what you told us to do. Not our own decisions, but yours. For that which is done at your command, that which is done in obedience to you is really the only thing that can be done in your name. Any other motivation is not in your name, even if we attach your name to it. So let our representation of you be genuine. Let it be in spirit and in truth. Father God, I just, I pray for your people this morning, Lord. Where the enemy has had effectiveness in affecting his schemes, in the people's lives, I pray that he get exposed. That his evil schemes and actions are brought to light and the people of God understand what is going on and take action. Whatever ground he's gained in our minds, whatever ground he's gained in our hearts, whatever ground he's, he's gained in our lives, we have been complicit in that. He could not have got it otherwise. But even so, all it takes is to, is to acknowledge it. Confess it to God. Repent. All it takes is submitting to you, God. As you say, Father God, that, that submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. See, it's in our submission to you that our resisting him will make him flee. So, Father God, I just pray that we become submissive to you. Expose those areas in our lives that, that we're lording over, that we have not surrendered to you. And I pray that as you do that, Lord, we will submit to you in those things and resist the devil that we may have unknowingly cooperated with or at least allowed space to operate in our lives in a way that shouldn't be. I thank you, Father God, for your love. I thank you for your word. I thank you, uh, Holy Spirit, for the work that you're doing even now, convicting our hearts and, 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 and leading us into all truth. Have your way in our lives, O oh God. May your will be done in our lives here on this earth, even as it is in heaven. For you are God are great and greatly to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.